Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. I started in myeloma nearly 25 years ago. And at that time, the average expectation of life in someone with myeloma was maybe one to two years. But even just in this last 10 to 12 years, we have doubled, if not tripled, the average survival of patients. I saw a new patient this week, and we had this conversation that based on what we've done over the last decade, my expectation is that patient's going to live more than 10 years. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. On 9-11, our nation made a commitment to never forget. Since then, it's been the Tunnel to Towers Foundation honoring those words with action. So many people gave their lives while saving others on 9-11. Tunnel to Towers carries forward that legacy of courage and heroism by honoring our country's military and first responder heroes, people who are willing to die for you and me. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. What is going on, Billy Up Sports fam? It's your favorite history teacher, Mr. Parker Ainsworth, here with another edition of FN Sports, the podcast for teachers grade sports' biggest issues. Today, we have a special Writer's Workshop edition of FN Sports, we sit down with Mr. Dave Zirin. Zirin is a sports writer for The Nation, where he covers the intersection of sports, politics, and culture. Zirin has authored a number of different books documenting the history of sports outside of the box scores and does an excellent job of looking at the margins for voices and stories we might not get to hear otherwise. But first, let's hear a gold star and a detention. First, a gold star goes to Juan Soto. Yes, the same Juan Soto who broke my heart after a bad ball call in the 2019 World Series. Yep, that guy. 
This week, Juan Soto gets a gold star for being both a fan and a teammate. Soto, who is still on the Washington Nationals, was at the Los Angeles Dodgers wildcard playoff game against the red-hot St. Louis Cardinals. Soto sat in the front row and went full fanboy. He went absolutely nuts for his former teammates, Trey Turner and Max Scherzer. Turner and Scherzer, both of whom were Nationals in 2019, now play for the Dodgers. Soto wore a Nationals Turner jersey, cheered on his buddies, and celebrated their successes with them. Often in sports, we want our favorite guys to be that kind of teammate. We want them to be a combination of relentlessly competitive, unwaveringly loyal, and in as deep a love of the game as we are as fans. But when players start to swap teams and go back and forth, it tests all of that. This is admittedly easier with Soto not being the playoffs, but man, that's awesome. What a great friend, teammate, and fan of baseball. Gold star to Juan Soto. The lone detention of the last few days, while the National Women's Soccer League story is still being shaken out some, and we're going to hear more about that in the coming days and weeks, I'm sure, the lone detention has to be the John Gruden story. This detention has only gotten bigger as it's evolved and ultimately looks like it's more of an expulsion, but I digress. Amidst the interrogation into the Washington football team, news broke Friday of emails from Gruden criticizing Roger Goodell and making racist comments about Demaris Smith. The issue continued to grow over the weekend, and as games were decided in end zones that say end racism by players with stronger together on their helmets, and in the pre- and post-game shows, and a long lightning delay at halftime of the Sunday night game, every pundit gave their two cents. No one offered a better perspective than Randy Moss. Moss, who played for the Raiders in the 2000s, offered a tearful testimony about being hurt as an NFL Hall of Famer that this was happening in the league. The story only got worse. By Monday evening, reports came out that emails were uncovered in the same investigation featuring misogyny, homophobia, and more continued hatred from Gruden's email address. So much so that before halftime of the Monday Night Football game, Gruden had officially resigned from his position. Or, as Adam Schefter put it, Gruden and Mark Davis met in a room at the facility, and by the time they'd walked out, Gruden had resigned. As this story grew, it admittedly grew beyond a detention, but in a football episode, it had to be mentioned. Again, this week, we get a chance to sit down and talk with Dave Zirin. Zirin is famous for work like What's My Name, Fool, Sports and Resistance in the United States, and A People's History of Sports in the United States. But this week, we talked to him about the Kaepernick Effect, Taking a Knee, Changing the World. The book came out in September and explores the legacy and impact of Colin Kaepernick. It's a truly unique book that looks at the recent history that followed Kaepernick's protests in a true journalistic fashion. Let's dive in with Dave. All right. Today on FN Sports, we are joined by Dave Zyron. Dave is a name you may recognize from something like A People's History of Sports in the United States. Uh, Welcome to the Terror Dome is another fun title of his. But today we're here to talk about the Kaepernick effect, taking a knee, changing the world. Dave, let's start. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing well, doing well. And I'm excited to talk to you about this book. Um, I want to ask first, you know, obviously everyone that recognize the name also knows you're with the nation can i ask what you're doing these days with the nation i'm just you know doing my work man i mean i wrote last week about the nwsl the national women's soccer league and the kind of unprecedented movement inside the sport to root out uh coaches who are predatory sexually towards them 
And uh, it's like the me too moment in soccer. And so I guess that's what I was working on last week. And I don't know, this week hasn't yet revealed itself. And as people listening can tell, Dave, you're always kind of at this intersection of sports and things other than sports. Though it's funny, you're listed as a sports writer, but I think he was writing as much bigger topics. Um, Before we get too much into the weeds on the book here, when did all that start for you? I mean, sports is a lens. You know, I've always thought that. So it's like it's to write it's to write about sports, but really to write about how sports explain different parts of the world. I mean, it was just uh, something that I wanted to write about from a pretty young age. I mean, when I was at college, Mahmoud Abdul Rauf made his decision to not come out for the anthem, the guard for the Denver Nuggets. And that really just changed. I was a huge sports fan before then. And um, I was also into politics, but I sort of saw them on parallel tracks. And when Mahmoud did that, I heard a commentator say afterwards that he must see himself as one of those activist athletes like Tommy Smith, John Carlos, Muhammad Ali, Billie Jean King. And I didn't know what that meant. Like, I thought I was like this Mr. Sports trivia expert loser dude. And here's this whole part of sports history that I just didn't know. So I really started getting into reading about it, learning about it. And really, you know, and when you go back and you read about these historical moments of sports and struggle and protest, there are always some decent sports writing around them. A lot of the sports writing is often terrible hyper reactionary like you know they should shut up and stop talking (laughs) politics the same shit you hear now but there's occasionally like some really good writing about it and as i was reading that i was thinking like wow there's not really that kind of sports writing these days this is like 20 years ago so i started doing that um working for a newspaper i you know was given column space once a week to write a sports column worked for several small newspapers and then got hired on at the nation. And that was about 15 years ago. So. Well, and it's been frankly quite a 15 year period to be in that space. Obviously this book particularly is about Kaepernick, but I got to ask what prompted this because it kind of comes post Kaepernick is looking at the effect, but there's some parts of the story in here that are also pre summer of 2020 and George Floyd, although it's clearly very heavily influenced by the summer of 2020. Um, Can I ask what prompted this, this book? Yeah. You know, one of the books I wrote about eight or nine years ago was called the John Carlos story. And it was the memoir of Dr. John Carlos. Uh, You know, we obviously did the book together Um, and it was a really moving experience. He of course was one of the 1968 Olympians who raised his fist on the medal stand in Mexico city. And in a very offhand way, a couple of years ago, uh, John Carlos, we, he and I were hanging out and he said to me, you know, a lot of people were raising their fists after we did in Mexico city, like at track meets and things of that nature. And I was like, wow, you know, the history major in me, just like a <laughs> light bulb went off. Like who were those people? What happened to them? You know, what role did they play in the movement? What were the repercussions on their teams? And I knew I wouldn't get those answers, but it did make me reflect on some of these one-off stories we've seen over the last five years of, um, you know, this particular school, people take a knee, uh, this particular school, there's a brawl after a student takes a knee, this school, you know, garbage is thrown at the kids. You know, I, like I'd written a bunch of those stories over the years and other people had as well. 
And I was thinking, you know, we need something that captures their voices in its totality. Otherwise, we really run the risk of forgetting that these people existed the same way we've you know, forgotten that the 1968 people existed. Um, so I certainly didn't know they existed until John told me about it. So I didn't want that. I wanted there to be a resource so people could see that it wasn't just about Kaepernick. It was about the Kaepernick effect. And that's what really makes it matter. Not even so much what he did, but the effect that it had on others. Because if you don't have an effect on others, you end up like Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, who certainly had an effect on me, but was also largely just drummed out of the league and really forgotten historically. And uh, the reason why that's not going to happen to Colin Kaepernick is precisely because there was this effect on so many people after what he did. Completely. I remember learning about Abdul-Raouf much later. I, I was I'm, you know, I was born you know, not too long before he played, but I obviously found out about him much much later. I got to ask, this is a story of other people's stories. And that kind of leads me to two questions. One, was that hard for you to pitch? Because it's not a whole lot of your voice in here, it, intentionally so. Very intentionally so. The point was to center their voices, not my own. That was very conscious with every paragraph. Um, if you're asking about you know, selling it to a, a publisher, yeah, it was uh, not the easiest thing to do. Um, fortunately, you know, the new press I'd published there before. So, you know, they, they entertained it and were into the idea, but I went to other places before I went to the new press. Um, new press was wonderful. So I don't want to make it sound like I'm in any way putting them down. I just, you know, that's what you do. You shop a book idea. Right. Uh, and, and there just wasn't the interest. I mean, and this was, you know, before the summer of 2020, this was at the very start of the pandemic. That's when we got the contract signed. And I, and I actually had started working on it before I got the contract signed. And so I already knew I had a ton of compelling stories, but a lot of the people at the big publishing houses, they were like, well, what's the point? You know, what, what's the point? And I'll tell you, like, as I'm working on it, the summer of 2020 happens, George Floyd is murdered. And you have the largest demonstrations in the history of the United States. And I went back and I called the people, a lot of the people who I'd interviewed, and they were all like either in the streets or organizing people to get in the streets. And that made me realize that while many roads may have led this country to the summer of 2020, one of those roads runs through the athletic fields of the United States. You see, that's a much easier pitch <laughs> before the yeah. summer of 2020 it's just, it feels like this kind of abstraction to them. And my only response to that was, well, no, we need to preserve these voices almost on political principle. You know, otherwise they will get forgotten if they're even remembered at this point. And, but, but it, it did take on a very, very different resonance um, after the summer of 2020. Well, and that was kind of segued already past my second, my, Second question on that idea was, how did you know to keep your voice out of it? What was your cue on that? But it sounds like you wanted to preserve this. You're a historian. You wanted to make sure they, they lasted. That's the hat. That was the hat I was wearing for this, definitely. And, you know, it's also a response to Colin Kaepernick's silence. You know, we're about to hear, I think, a lot from Colin Kaepernick. He's going to release this thing on Netflix with Ava DuVernay. But, for you know, for the last several years, he's largely been this kind of silent figure. And so anytime you have a situation, I was trying to figure, like, really take the temperature of the political situation around him. And it's like, okay, there's actually a vacuum 
around him and what he represented, whose voice should fill that vacuum. I certainly wasn't going to be like, my voice should fill that vacuum. No, it's like part of it you think about is like who deserves to have their voice fill that that vacuum. And I was like, it should be these young people who risked so much because in Colin Kaepernick, they saw a language by which they could express their own dissent and discontent. Some of those voices are a particularly young group in Beaumont. And that really struck a chord with me. So folks that listen to the show, I was born in Houston and spent like the first six or eight months of my life living in Beaumont. And so that struck particularly close to home, right? Generally, it felt like the younger the kids, like those Beaumont kids, the more emotionally, you know, the bigger the toll on their emotions, the, the more invested they were in in this. Did, did it strike you as that as you were reporting this and uncovering this? Or was it just particular to that group of Beaumont kids? Ooh. I mean, uh, this is this is exactly why I divided the book into three sections, high school, college and pro and fudging on the high school part with the Beaumont story, uh, because, I mean, th there's such different periods in your life and such different challenges and such different emotions uh, that go into stepping out and really, really exposing yourself and being vulnerable to your entire community as somebody who's taking a side on one of the most polarizing issues of our time. And that takes a certain amount of courage. Uh, at the college level, you're also risking a scholarship. At the professional level, you're risking a check. Um, so they all contain the element of risk. But like you're saying, like, like that, that, that passion, that heart, you know, that comes out from those kids who are at a younger age and, are really have they have no calculation other than justice in their minds and there's so there's a purity to that definitely a purity in that and i noticed that with that organization at least the internal adults in the organization and the coaches responded differently from place to place kind of dramatically in some cases some coaches were super against what their kids were doing some coaches were super for it and then you had an instance like where the coach is super for it, but the audience is super not for it and, and those kinds of things. Did you notice any trends along the way in those reactions or was it really just completely random from place to place? Well, it certainly fit this uh, template that this former Baltimore Colt who does coaching uh, clinics now named Joe Ehrman, uh, something that he once said that there are two kinds of coaches, the transactional and the transformational. And this is Joe's theory, you know, that you can really, you can be one, you could be the other, you're, but you can't be both. And you're definitely going to be one of them if you're a coach, like you're, you're either, in, unless you're just completely lazy and don't care. But if you're, if you're in there and actually doing your job, you're transactional or transformational. I've had some coaches who I would just say, no, nah, they're kind of lazy. <laughs> um, but, you know, the transactional, they're obviously in it for what it does for their ego and how it makes them feel. The kids are secondary to their primary emotions. Uh, and then the transformational is, you know, they're in it for the kids. You know, everybody likes to win and lose. And I'm not saying that's not a part of it, but you're primarily in it for how you can change young lives for the better and the more productive. And there are some transformational coaches in this book and there are some transactional coaches in this book. And, uh, yeah, that's that's really what I realized along the way. The other common thread, and I've talked about this in other interviews for sure, is that even more than the name Colin Kaepernick, the name Trayvon Martin just kept coming up time and again. 
And it really made me reflect about the nature of what happened to Trayvon Martin in 2012, uh, being killed by George Zimmerman. But then on top of that, not getting justice, not, or not getting any punishment, and them even having to do dozens of walkouts of schools just to get them arrested and charged. And that, that for, for this young generation, I mean, that was kind of scarring for them. They were like 11 years old when that happened. So they were old enough to uh, know what, who Trayvon Martin was and what had taken place, but still young enough to just not understand why the world has to be that way. And that, that really stuck with them. And it reminded me a lot of uh, the interviews that you see in documentaries like Eyes on the Prize of the young civil rights activists when they speak about Emmett Till and uh, who was, you know, lynched and brutalized in Mississippi, uh, also 14 years old, like Trayvon, um, and how that sort of marked them and turned them into lifelong activists. Uh, the Emmett Till comparison really echoed with me as I was hearing from them how Trayvon Martin acted as a sort of guide to their own action. Well, and so Trayvon Martin is killed in late February of 2012, I believe, right? And so that's my end of junior year of college. And then obviously that carries on the the national commentary, I should say. I, maybe there's a better way to say that. It carries on into my – I was a Division three athlete too. And mm. um, I look at some of the stories from the college side of this mm. happening a few years after I've graduated from college. And I don't, I don't necessarily know how or what me and my team would have done at a small liberal arts school – but I did seem to notice that in liberal arts schools you looked at, when you soaked the money out of this thing, it looked like there was a fairly consistent, at least from the students' aspect and a lot of the coaches' aspect, it looked like there was a consistent response at these non-financial institutions, where the sports yeah. is not a moneymaker. Would exactly. you have said that's fair? Oh, totally. And that's part of it. You know, that's part of the story is, and I, and I, I don't really have an answer to this question, but what is it about that knee that drives people to this state of panic and paranoia? Like no sports isn't a moneymaker for D3, but the fear that alumni will see it and the giving that year will dry up. The fear that the alumni will do a Google search of, oh, it's my school in the news and up comes a story of people taking a knee during the anthem. I mean, freak them out because they knew it was newsworthy. And that, and that led to like these weird situations in several of the instances where you have school presidents bartering with 19-year-olds as to the terms of their protest. Like, we'll get you your own Black Lives Matter shirts and you can wear them. Or you guys can link arms and bow your heads. Does that sound nice? how about we get you a black sash that you can put on? Wouldn't that be cool? And it's like, no, we're going to take a knee. Ah, you know, so it, it's, it's not that the sport itself is a financial tent pole, but it's about those conservative donors whose names are on the building and how scared they are that those folks will pull their money. Well, and then you have at a institution where money is being made on sports, like Michael from Nebraska, uh, yeah right? The linebacker that ends up having his chance to pros, he felt cut a little short, right? Um, it obviously has only a greater impact the higher the dollar amount goes. Oh, exactly. 
and it increases the risk factor, of course, as well, which I think people into it when these protests take place at the professional level. And because people know it has risk, I mean, that, that imbues it with a certain kind of meaning that otherwise wouldn't be there. I wish that wasn't the case, but it's like with the risk is what gives it its meaning. That's why when they do these kind of staged taking a knee events, it just doesn't pop the same way because you're not stepping out to do it in a hostile environment. You're doing it, you know, with the okay of the franchise owner and all the rest of it. Definitely. And you mentioned some moments that have happened with professionals. You do wrap up with professionals in some, frankly, higher profile cases. Like I think mm. Bennett is a name, Michael Bennett is a name people kind of know. Um, I remember the ba- the athletics and the baseball taking a knee because frankly, I like did a little diving and didn't necessarily realize his personal ties to the situation. The book wraps up with the pros. You're a historian. History's happening every day. Can we talk a little bit through like the historical sports moment I see tied to this, aside from all the athletes in the protests all summer long, is the Milwaukee Bucks and the Wildcat strike and the bubble and all of that. How would that play into the end of this book? You're telling me, you know, it's, it's tough. You know, if you're painting a picture at some point, you got to put the brush down. And after the summer of 2020, you know, really just days before what happened in the bubble is I officially sent it in and, um, you know, in my, in my efforts to retrieve it were met with, uh, (laughs) you know, like, uh, it's fine, Dave, like a lot of it's fine, Dave, but, um, I would have loved to have included that towards the end or as an afterward um, to write about what I really think, which is that one of the Kaepernick effects is athletes feeling like they need to exercise their power more and not wait for, um, for management to give them the okay. And the ultimate expression of that in sports is when you flex your labor power. And that's exactly what the Milwaukee Bucks did. And then you saw it spread from sport to sport to sport. You know, that doesn't happen uh, without Colin Kaepernick really uh, taking it to a different kind of cultural plane and paying for it with his job. Completely. And, you know, bluntly, for better or for worse, football is looked at as a much more conservative game and basketball has a much more progressive base. But football weirdly is the one that starts this, even if basketball did the deal with the shutdown the league for the day, right? It's weird to think that that's where this started as opposed to, I think many people think of the opposite. Yeah, exactly. No, football has a very conservative history. And in some respects, you know, football (laughs) is the closest thing we have to a national language in this country. And so the power of that uh, and the power of that kind of cultural plane, I mean, no sport is even close to the NFL and ratings and second is college football. Um, it's the closest thing to a monoculture that we have left in our sliced and diced entertainment world. And so when you have a quarterback, the face of one of these teams take that knee, it just creates a different kind of discussion than would have happened if anybody, say, short of LeBron James, did the same in the NBA. Completely. Um, it also is interesting that because of the summer of 2020 and because of all the things that come with the summer of 2020 and then the fall of 2020 sports come back and these athletes are back to using their voices. It felt like there was a weird moment where the NFL kind of apologized without directly apologizing to Kaepernick as someone who had done so much research on this book over the summer and so much work on this book over the summer. How did you take that in when you saw these apologies happening? 
Mm. I'm sorry, which apologies? I just <laughs> it wasn't an official apology, but the NFL did seem to change oh, oh, its stance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it just made me think about carrots and sticks. You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, we'll offer, offer a little bit of an apology. We'll say we should have listened to Colin Kaepernick. We'll put some signs up in the end zone, some stickers on the helmets. But you're still not going to have a job. And your buddy Eric Reed still not going to have a job. And we're going to make sure that this young generation of players know that there's a price to be paid for messing with the profit motives of the, and the racial and labor discipline of the National Football League. Well, so it sounds like there's you're weighing more heavily the fact that like the opening football game of the 2020 season was Chiefs Texans and people are booing linking arms <laughs> to start the season off like that. That seems to be more where you're heading and that's looking at football right now. Pretty much. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Um, and, and I don't mean to paint you as not a fan, obviously. It's like you got a Justin Tucker shirt on right now. <laughs> or is that? No, sorry. I saw a nine. I saw a nine. <laughs> oh, Mad- Madabuike. <laughs> got you. <laughs> um, last question I want to get you out here on is really in continuing to praise the book. Oh. On the back, you've got praise for the Kaepernick effect from names like Ibram X. Kendi, from Eddie Glaude Jr., and from Mina Kimes and Siku Smith. Is there one audience you thought this would be extra important to, or is that wide net kind of its strength? The wide, it's all about the wide net. You know, I want people who love sports and hate politics and people who hate politics. Wait, no, I said that again. Who love sports and hate politics or people who hate politics. I'm going to get this right in a second. (laughs) Um, I want people who love or hate all that. You know, it's like as long as you have some foothold of entry into either the world of sports or politics or hopefully both, I want this book to be able to speak to you. Well, and it certainly does. And it's interesting. And I wouldn't have known when I picked it. I picked it up because bluntly it has Kaepernick on the front. And I was like, that's appealing to me. I want to read more about this. And I didn't know I was going to hear from middle school, high school, college. <laughs> I, like, I didn't know that's where the voices were going to be from. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, sneaky right cross. Yeah, sneaky right cross, which you know probably plays into the soccer stuff you've been recently writing on. Yeah. Um, do you have any ideas of what the next book is, Dave? No idea. I mean, I got some ideas floating around, but I, I got to think this stuff through, man. For sure. Well, thank you for writing this. As a history teacher myself, I think this is an important piece of it. Um, And as a Texan, frankly, seeing shout outs to things like Beaumont, Texas were cool. And and thank you for coming on today, Dave. Again, people can find you at The Nation magazine. Yeah, absolutely. Best way is Twitter at Edge of Sports. Feel free to hit me up and uh, we'll talk. For sure, man. That's Dave Zirin of The Nation magazine at Edge of Sports on Twitter. Thanks for coming on again, man. Thank you, Parker. Okay, Parker, so the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement? Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we, we seem to have an affinity for our beards between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But you're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make balms, they even have have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the 
oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it'll <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're listening to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your balms, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast your face. Friends, that is another edition of FN Sports. Feel like you're all caught up on the Kaepernick effect? Be sure to get it at your local bookstore. We'll be sure to link some of the more national chains in all of the bios for this episode, but please be sure to shop local. If you missed the Hoops Talk, you're in luck. We have another edition of the Midweek Midrange this Wednesday night. Find us on YouTube or Instagram and Twitter at Midweek Midrange. That's live every Wednesday night at either 9 or 9.30, kind of depending, but you can find us at 9 or 9.30 on Twitter and YouTube at Midweek Midrange. As for me, my personal stuff, which includes podcasting, writing, general nonsense, a handful of L's on sneakers, and occasionally randomly commenting really positive things about Texas football, only to then have to comment really negative things about Texas football, all of that can be found at Painsworth512 on Twitter and Instagram. That's at P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H-512 on Twitter and Instagram. This show is also on Twitter and Instagram, and now Facebook. On Twitter, we're at FN Sports 2. That's at F I N S P R T S number two, all one word. On Instagram, we're at F underscore N underscore sports. That's at F underscore N underscore sports. On Twitter, we're at FN Sports 2. But if you search for FN Sports, we're the first podcast that pops up. And we have merch. Use the links in all of our bios to find your way to our merch store. We have one student design t-shirts, a couple of classics, and we're currently selling a breast cancer awareness special. All the proceeds from that special are going to the Breast Cancer Research Foundation. In fact, I'm actually sitting here recording this in my Flunk Cancer shirt. It fits great, looks great, feels great, and the Flunk Cancer campaign supports the show and a great cause. Be sure to grab one or four shirts, a mug, and let people know you are not one to be flunked with. Be sure to like, subscribe, rate, review, and all the wonderful things that help out the podcast and whatever you do. Please remember, when it comes to sports, don't flunk with us. Later, guys. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Shopify presents cool sheets from aha to lying awake while you bake isn't cool. I suffered from the wrong kind of hot in bed, heat-induced insomnia. That was my aha moment. Bed sheets that keep you cool. Then I thought, how do I even sell bed sheets? That's when I had the idea that made it all possible, signing up on Shopify. With the help of Shopify's intuitive online store creator, I started selling sustainable bamboo sheets that keep cool year-round. And my cool idea became a reality. Hot sleepers around the world rejoice. (laughs) 
Shopify makes it simple to keep your cool while starting and growing your business. Start selling with Shopify today and join the commerce platform powering millions of businesses worldwide. From aha to anything is possible. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22.